one to everyone who's a father in the room. Um, if you didn't uh, get a chance, stop by the cafe. There's a bacon and a chocolate peanut butter cookie for you, plus some other things that you can sign up for. So, um, <laughs> exactly, we're, try we're trying to get you hooked in. Um, yeah. If you are new to Emmanuel, have been coming for a few weeks, or if this is your first Sunday, we would like to get you to know you better. If you would, you could fill out a connection card um, and just give us whatever information that you would like for us to have about you. You can, um, there's a preferred form of contact. If you, if you don't want us to call you or show up at your house with a freshly baked loaf of bread, um, you can put text on there. That's fine. Um, but we would love to connect with you. Also, um, you can take this and drop it off in one of the drop boxes or drop it off at the welcome desk and someone can talk to you about getting connected to Emmanuel Baptist Church. Um, it is Father's Day. One of the best things about that God has instilled about fatherhood is that we can know what He is like because we, we are fathers. That's a, a gift that He communicates to us that we, we know what that's like. But also we can cry out to him for father. And so that's what we want to do today in our worship service. We have a, we have a few great things going on. We have a baptism today. Mr. Joe Arsenault is going to get baptized. We're commissioning a team, a missions team to go to Kenya. And we're going to learn about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we would know who God the father was by seeing, physically seeing who Christ the son was, um, a few things that we want to do to help equip fathers are an electrician or a plumber or can cut grass. Um, we had a zookeeper in the first service, so if you have any skills, anything like that. Uh, painting, uh, if you can do a good caulk line, that's a special skill. <clears throat> but but please please sign up that. Talk to the guys at the, at the table in the cafe. Um, we are going to... We're going to watch here in just a minute. We're going to watch a vid, uh, bapti Mr. Joe's baptism video testimony. Um, and then we're going to sing and worship together. So let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for calling us to yourself. We thank you for calling us to your church. We thank you for salvation that we have in you. But God, we thank you that you are our Father. And we, God, we thank you that you sent your Son to know what you were like and what your attributes were. We pray that we would learn and know and enjoy those things today so that we can go and tell people who are in darkness, um, people in our community and around the world about the goodness of right relationship with you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's watch the video together. Thank you for being with me today, church. I am Joseph Arsenault. I'm actually a newer Emmanuel Baptist Church member, but a very proud Baptist church member nevertheless. Like many people in my age group, uh, I grew up in a Christian home in Kansas City, Missouri, and my mother was a part-time pianist at our Methodist church. So as a young person, uh, I learned a lot about hymns. My mother actually inherited the piano when the church got their first organ. So I used to sing hymns with my mom in the garage on Saturday while she practiced for her new sermon or her new setting at the church. Um, I'm a very lucky guy. I've been through a lot in my life. I've been everything from a Boy Scout, a soldier, United States Marine, a police officer, state judicial investigator, and an educator. Um, actually, I'm very lucky to still be alive after all the things that I've been through in my life. And I realize that one of the reasons that I am here is but by the grace of God. And I'm very humbled to have led a Christian life. But when I was younger, I was baptized at age 10 or 12. I really didn't understand all that was going on in that world at that time. Now, as I've gotten older, there are many, many things that are important to me. And the church is very important. Unfortunately, throughout most of my life, I've been a very bad sinner. There's probably not a single thou shalt not in the Bible that I'm not guilty of. And I stand here in front of you today, church, and ask for repentance. Ask for repentance from God. For I want to be forgiven for my sins. And I know now that the only reason that I'm still here is through the grace of God. I feel very blessed to be part of this church. And I feel very blessed to have known uh, the people in this church. 
I want to affirm in front of you and in front of God that I want Christ to be in my life. Not just today, because it's an important day, but all week long, every day is a good day. And I'm very proud of being a member of this church. And I'm humbled to ask Pastor Shan Taylor to baptize me today. first conversation was not the easiest conversation I've ever had. Um, and I think the, the, the proper word term would be, I got grilled. You think that's fair to say? Grilled? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but that's because of how much Joe loves this church. And he uh, called me whenever I was the candidate here and he wanted to know for certain that I'm Christ. And so, Joe, what is it that you confess with your mouth? I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord. And what do you believe in your heart? I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Well, based upon this profession of faith, I baptize you, my brother. Step a little bit further this way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're buried with Christ. Raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Praise God for that. Wow. Man. Would you stand with me now? And as we worship today, Psalm 95 calls us to worship. It says, Oh, come let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving and let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. Let's sing his praise today. Father, Lord Jesus, God, we praise you today and thank you. We praise you for what you have done for us and for who you are. God, we stand before you today. We couldn't stand before before you except for the blood of Jesus, that he died my death, that your blood was poured out for my sin. Thank you, God, that we can stand here today, the redeemed, your children, before our Abba Father, and praise you because of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Would you grab your Bibles as you grab your seat? Open up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. While you're turning there, I want to talk about two things briefly. And the first is that I think uh, it would be only appropriate for me to say a word of thanks to Brian Crispin and a few other guys, Michael Anderson and Thomas Clark, for their willingness to step up and to fill in some major slots that we've been missing on our staff, um, our worship leader and a youth pastor. And so those guys have served excellently, faithfully for uh, a while now during a difficult season in the church. And so I'm thankful for them. Um, yeah. I wanted to make mention of that now for a couple of reasons. At the end of our service, we're going to have a time of commissioning over a team that is headed off to Kenya for a missions uh, trip, Brian being one of them. But we actually won't see much of Brian around here during the summer because he's got like several back-to-back -back mission trips. And so I wanted to thank him now um, because... And us knowing now for a while that Brian was going to be largely unavailable for the summer, we began looking a handful of weeks ago for an interim worship pastor to come in and to uh, take the, that spot, that leadership position, at least for the summertime. And so uh, we found a man named Ben Croson, who is the director of Exodus Ministry here in uh, Crestview. Ben got his worship ministry degree from Baptist College of Florida, and then he was at a couple different churches in full-time worship leadership, but then he felt called back to Crestview to take over Exodus Ministries as the, the director there. And over the last three years, while he's been the director, he's also served as an interim worship leader at several different churches kind of in this area. So he's actually today finishing up as an interim worship pastor uh, at a church about an hour away. 
and he will be available to start for us next week. Uh, we had the SLT interview, Ben, um, and then the SLT after that interview felt good recommending him to the deacons. The deacons then affirmed this idea of him coming on as our interim worship leader during the summertime. Now, to hire someone indefinitely in a ministerial staff position, according to our Constitution and bylaws, requires a vote from the church. Um, so uh, before we would ever bring on someone in that indefinite position, we would have a full churchwide vote. But because um, this is just an interim position, uh, then uh, I think we feel good moving forward with the uh, approval of the deacon body. And so um, I, I want you to take some time to give some extra thanks, maybe an extra hug or handshake or whatever to Brian for how he has led faithfully during the season. I also want you to pray about how the Lord is leading you to contribute to a love offering that we will take for Brian uh, next week, um, just as a way of showing him our thanks and our appreciation for how he has led. Um, so pray about that, and I think the Lord will lay it upon your heart. So turning now to our text this morning in John chapter 1, as you're opening your Bible, I want to tell you about this mug that I flew to Brussels uh, that same day that I got there, I went into the downtown area, and I bought this mug, and then I went back and flew back home. Flew to Brussels, bought a mug, came back home. That's not why I wanted to fly to Brussels. That wasn't my intention, but that's what actually happened, okay? Because I was on my way not to Brussels. Brussels was a layover on the way to the Gambia in West Africa. I was heading there for a mission trip. But things did not go as planned. Um, and so I went to Brussels and got a mug instead. So what actually happened was we flew out of New Orleans to Chicago. And then as we were getting on the plane in Chicago, I had my carry-on with me, everything I needed for the trip, every, everything. I didn't have a checked bag, just my carry-on. We get to the plane and the uh, person says, sorry, we're out of carry-on space. We're going to have to check your bag. And I didn't want to, but they made me. So they took my bag, I get on the plane, and then we sat there for four hours because they had one pilot, not two, and they had to wait for the second one to show up. So we're sitting there, and after a couple hours, it's pretty obvious that I'm not going to make my connection in Brussels from Brussels to uh, the Gambia. And so I tell the, the stewardess, I said, hey, I'm pretty sure I should just get off here and go back home. There's no reason for me to go to Brussels because I'm not going to make my connection. She says, don't worry, Brussels is a big airport. We'll get it figured out. And I'm, I'm not so sure. There's not a lot of flights into Gambia. It's not a hot spot of tourism, okay? She says, no, 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 we'll work it out, I promise. Okay, so we fly to Brussels. I get off the plane and learn, first thing, that they've already lost my luggage. Uh, somehow, going from one door on the plane, they couldn't get it to the bottom of the plane. I don't, I don't know, but they lost it. So I have only the clothes on my back. That's all I have. And uh, then they hand me my new ticket, and the flight for the Gambia does not depart for five days. Uh, the entire trip is only 11 days. And so I guess their thought is we're just going to hang out in Brussels for five days. Well, that doesn't work. We're not going to waste half of our trip. And so after several hours on the phone, someone promises me that if we fly back home, they're going to reimburse us so we can come back another time. So we've still got to stay the night in a hotel and get up and fly home the next morning. I did, you know, while I was waiting, go into town, buy a mug. You know, why not? And so uh, I, I get into the hotel room, about to go to sleep for the evening, and keep in mind, I'm wearing the same clothes that I've flown in from New Orleans to Chicago, from Chicago to Brussels. I've been in these clothes for a long time. Airports are yucky. I'm not too thrilled about this. They're my only clothes. And so I decide, and this is more information than I'm sure you want, but I decide that I'm not going to sleep in my clothes because that will just make them dirtier. And so, uh, and I have to wear them all the way home. So go to sleep. Middle of the night, I don't know this, but I'm just helping you understand. Middle of the night, the power goes out in the whole hotel, and I wake up because, you know, when you're sleeping and then, like, it's quieter, the, the electricity isn't humming, the fan's not going, and so it's quieter. So I wake up in the middle of the night. I don't know what's going on. It is pitch black. I can't see my hand in front of my face, and there's, um, there's no sounds at all. I, because I'm so jet-lagged, I cannot remember where I am or what I'm doing. And I'm just sitting there thinking, where am I? What's going on? Why am I naked? Well, I'm 
so confused. This is hands down the most disorienting moment of my entire life. I fumble around. I eventually find a, a lamp, try to turn it on. It doesn't turn on. And uh, I, I actually had to plug in my phone. I don't have a plug for Brussels outlets. I had to plug it into the back of the TV on the other side of the room. So I don't even have my phone to, to look at or whatever. Eventually, uh, after several minutes of confusion, I find, uh, I remember where I am. I find the hotel phone, find out the power's out. Okay, I figure it out. But in that moment of confusion, several moments, I felt there in the darkness, I felt very lost, very confused, honestly, a little scared. What is going on? And when that lamp would not turn on, then I felt even more hopeless. What I needed in that moment of lostness and confusion and fear, I needed the light to turn on. Well, we've started, we've been studying now for four weeks the presence of God, and we started in Genesis when Adam and Eve, because of their sin, there became this distance between them and the presence of God. To pick up a metaphor that's used all throughout the scripture, in that moment, we, because of our sin, became spiritually blind. We began to live in the darkness. And there in the darkness, what we need more than anything is for the light to turn on. Without it, we will continue to wander, to be lost, to be scared, confused, and hopeless. Well, as we get now to John chapter 1, the beautiful truth that John is going to proclaim is that the light of the world had come. The light turned on. The cure for our spiritual blindness, the only solution for us being lost in the darkness was that the light came on. So we're jumping about a thousand years in history here, going from King David to the birth of Jesus. But in that time, the, uh, the people of God, they built a temple, which you'll remember represented not a limitation of God's presence, but the intentional presence of God. The people then, though there were some good times with the temple, they began to take it um, not seriously enough to, to presume upon the presence of God, to live in sin, and so God removed his presence. The temple was still there, but God was not. The people were conquered by um, these different nations, taken into captivity, and there the people learned to value God's presence again. There's no more temple. We're not in Jerusalem, and yet somehow God is still with us because of his faithfulness, not because of us. They eventually return back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and then we have this period of, of biblical silence, 400 years of biblical history where there is no prophet speaking. There is no word of God being delivered. Essentially, the people were in the dark, and then Jesus comes, and the light turns on. So pick up now with me in John chapter 1. We'll look to this morning all the way through verse 18, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. All right, I know that's a short phrase, but we could talk about just that phrase for a very long time. John is really a literary genius in that he has this amazing talent of making statements that appeal very strongly to both of his audiences. What do I mean by both of his audiences? He's writing to people who have both Jewish backgrounds and non-Jewish backgrounds, both lost people and Christians of both of those backgrounds. And he will use phrases that have deep, rich meanings for both of those people even sometimes when the meanings seem different. And then somehow, as a genius, he's able to bring those phrases together and kind of meld them into a new meaning, which is even more powerful and more rich. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When you hear this phrase, beginning, what do you immediately think of? Not John 1, you think of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, John's Jewish audience would immediately think of that as well we hear in the beginning was the word. So this was kind of a complicated phrase in the, in the ancient world. The word logos, that's the Greek word, was used by Stoic philosophers, Gnostic philosophers, to talk about an impersonal divine power that was kind of over creation, ordering and structuring all of the universe. Okay, so John's non-Jewish hearers would hear the 
phrase, and they think in the beginning was basically the power of creation, the, the, the wisdom of order. Yeah, that makes sense. But what would have Jew, John's Jewish background hearers think of? They would say, in the beginning was the word. Well, what words were, did we hear in Genesis chapter 1? We hear the words of creation. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Oh, I know what word you're talking about, John. And then this group over here goes, oh, I know what word you're talking about, John. And then us here in the middle go, well, which one are you talking about, John? What's going on here? Well, let's keep reading. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. Okay, again, both groups go, okay, I think I know what that means. I think that makes sense. God, the power of creation, yeah, it was there with God in the beginning. And this group over here goes, yeah, the, I, I guess I understand that. The, 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 the wisdom that the universe, it's there with God. That makes sense. As we keep reading, the word was with God and the word was God. Okay, now both groups are starting to wonder what you're talking about, John. This is getting a little confusing. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Okay, so we're not talking about the power of creation and it. We're not talking about the wisdom that orders the universe and it. We're talking about a person, a he. Now, I I expect that John expected his readers to have to read this a few times to fully understand the depth of what he's describing here. But let me just spoil the ending for you. He is Jesus. He is the of creation. He is there in the beginning with God because he is God. And he is the one that through whom all things were made. That's what it says next in verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so John is saying, no, 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 I hope you see and get what I'm saying here. When I say the word, the logos, I mean much more than the power of creation. I mean much more than the wisdom that oversees the universe. I mean a person. I mean he, Jesus Christ. He is the word. And so the first thing that John wants us to understand about Jesus this morning is this, that Jesus holds the power of God. That Jesus holds the power of God. We're going to have three descriptors of Jesus, and that's our first one this morning. Jesus holds the power of God. Keep reading. It's going to become even more clear and even more rich as we unpack this text. Verse 4, in him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. So here, this is John saying not only that Jesus is the source of life, our life, but that he also lived himself, that he took upon flesh. And we're driving there. We're going to get there in verse 14, but here he's hinting at it. Jesus actually lived. He's not some far-off, impersonal deity. He is God in the flesh. And his life is our source of light. The life was the light of men. What, what kind of light are we talking about here? Well, this picture is a picture of guidance. We are guided by light. In a dark room, if you have the light on, you're less likely to stump your toe, right? In this picture of light is a, light, uh, a picture of vision and insight, the cure to our spiritual blindness. So what can we see now because of Jesus that we could not see before Jesus? That is the character of God. Jesus shows us the character of God. He gives us insight into God's person through his physical life. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so, as hard as the darkness tried, as hard as Satan tried, he could not end Jesus' life because he was resurrected to new life. As hard as the darkness tried, he could not extinguish our light because our light was not overcome by the darkness. And so Jesus, being the light of the world, being our light, means he's the cure to our spiritual blindness. We can now see God in a way that we previously could not see him. So Jesus first holds the power of God, and Jesus second shows the character of God. He holds the power of God, and he shows the character of God. Keep reading, verse 6. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Don't get confused. We're talking about John the Baptist. This gospel was written by John the disciple, the apostle. John the Baptist is a different guy. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, to give testimony about Jesus, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So John the Baptist, his primary ministry was a ministry of preparation for the Jewish background audience. They know about John because he is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 40. There will be one crying out for the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And that was John's ministry, preparing people to be ready for Jesus. But I think that it's reasonable to assume that even the Gentile hearers knew something about John because we have several statements in the gospels about just how enormous and widely ranging his ministry was. We even have a statement, a story in Acts chapter chapter 19, that talks about some disciples of John. Understand, Acts 19 is 20 years after Jesus' resurrection, and there are still people calling themselves the disciples of John. They are in Ephesus. That is 600 miles from Jerusalem. So I think it's very reasonable that the Gentile population would at least be vaguely familiar with, yeah, I've heard of that guy John before. And so, What John is doing is he's saying there was this guy who had this enormous ministry and the entire purpose of that huge ministry was to point people to Jesus. It's almost like when you have a former president who gives his, uh, his, his recommendation, hey, this is the next guy you should vote for. This is the new, the guy, new guy, the next person who should be president. That's what John is doing in referencing the ministry of John the Baptist. He was preparing us for Jesus. Verse 9, the true light gives light to everyone. He was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Let that just sit with you for a minute, because that is an astounding statement. Jesus is the creator of the world, and yet he came into it. The tree that the cross was made out of, The only reason that it grew is because Jesus willed it to grow. The hill that he died on only existed because he wanted it to exist. He made the world, and yet he came into the world. And ironically, the world did not know him. That's the funny thing about light. Light can either guide you or it can blind you. Light can either guide you or it can expose you. And there were those who saw the ministry of Jesus, and rather than being guided by him to salvation, they felt exposed by him, and they rejected him. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now this is astounding, Because we, because of our sin, become not children of God, children of wrath, deserving the full punishment of God. But because of Jesus, because of what he did, if we place our faith in Jesus, if we make him the Lord of our life, we are transformed from children of wrath into children of God. And children of God are unique in this way. Verse 13, they are born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Now, here, John is referring to the normal bond between a father and a child, a very strong bond, the bond of blood and flesh, or even the bond of will. He's talking about biological children and adopted children, very strong bonds that we would expect could not be broken. But John is saying the bond between God and his children is even stronger. We were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. A bond even stronger than flesh and blood, even stronger than the seal of adoption. And so, Jesus, as we think about all that he accomplished in coming to us, we see that he was delivering the message of God. That Jesus holds the power of God, Jesus shows the character of God, and Jesus delivers the message of God. What message? The message that we can be his children again. 
The message that we don't have to face the wrath of God, that God is perfect and righteous and just, but he's also merciful and loving, that he is willing to put the punishment for sin on his son so that we can become again sons and daughters of the king. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I know we've got a lot going on in this service, and so I need to preach a little bit of a shorter sermon for the sake of your uh, lunch. And I was tempted to just start in verse 14, but I think that there are these enormous, astounding truths in the Bible that sometimes we become so familiar with them that we just kind of grow numb to them kind of just take them for granted. And every Christmas we hear about the word becoming flesh, the incarnation, Jesus coming fully God, becoming fully man. And I think sometimes we take that too lightly. And so this is why it's so important that we work our way up to verse 14 so that we get the full emotional punch of what it means for the word to become flesh. What? Are you kidding me? The full power of God, the full character of God, the full message of God wrapped up in human flesh? That's unbelievable. He came to dwell with us? It's a truth that's almost too good to be true. His word dwelt is, again, just the genius of, of, of John here. He, it's the same word used to talk about the tabernacle. It's actually the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The tabernacle was that portable temple that the people of God used, and you remember what it represented, the intentional presence of God. And so as intentional as the presence of God was with the people through the tent, through the ark, through the temple, it is that much more powerful and intentional through the presence of Jesus. It is the presence of God not wrapped up in cloth, not wrapped up in stone, wrapped up in human flesh, coming to live and to dwell with us. And the result of that is this, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Because Jesus took upon flesh and dwelt with us, we can see the glory of God. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So John was physically older than Jesus by about six months. So he, Jesus came after John. His ministry started after John. But Jesus ranks before John because Jesus was before John in that Jesus, being fully God, always has existed and always will exist. And that's what John was crying out. You guys got to see it. It's, don't miss it. This is who I'm pointing to. Verse 16. From his fullness, which is... He was full of grace and truth. We just read that. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Because the law was given through Moses, the law showing us that we need grace. That was the purpose of the law, was to show us how we fall short of God's perfect and holy standard. So the law showing us that we need grace, but then us receiving grace upon grace. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That is how we received the grace, was through Jesus Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. Think back uh, a couple of passages we've studied in the series and a, a handful of others we could have studied are these amazing stories where people catch just a glimpse of God and his glory. You remember in Exodus 20, the mountain was shaking because of God's glory. And the people said, this is too much. If we get too much of this vision of God, we're going to perish. Moses, when he came down off of the mountain after being in God's presence, his shone with the reflected glory of God. Isaiah, when he comes into the throne room of God in a vision, he falls on his face and he cries out, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm unclean. Why does he cry out? Not because he's seen the full face of God, just because he saw the hem of God's robe. 
one, even in these amazing stories, has seen the full face and the full glory of God until what? Until the word became flesh. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Do you want to know God? Do you want to see his grace, his glory fully? Then look in the face of Jesus, because that is God in the flesh. He has made him known. And so Jesus is the power of God, the character of God, the message of God, all wrapped up in the flesh of man, meaning that Jesus brought the presence of God to all people so we could become the children of God. Jesus brought the presence of God to all people so that we could become children of God. And so you'll remember when we study Genesis chapter 3, this little detail that's thrown in there, but it's so meaningful that they heard God walking through the garden in the cool of the day, giving us this idea that there was a time before our sin when we were intended to walk with God in his presence in the garden. And let me tell you, from the moment that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, no person really ever walked with God through the garden until the disciples walked with garden with God until the disciples walked with Jesus through the garden of Gethsemane. Man walked with God in the garden again. But why? Is as Jesus agonized over the fact that he was about to take the full wrath of God upon himself. That he was sweating drops of blood because of this anticipation of what was about to come upon him. So we can walk with God in the garden again, but it's only because Jesus was willing to agonize in the garden. He lived the life we could not live. That's what is happening here in the incarnation, in Jesus taking upon human flesh. That is him coming to be our new Adam, our new representative. And in doing so, he lived the life we could not live. He died the death we deserve. He rose again to give us a new life that we could never earn. And all of that is only possible because first he became flesh and dwelt among us. So think about these characteristics of God, these characteristics and descriptors of Jesus, and just kind of rest on how astounding it is that all of these characteristics are wrapped up in flesh. Think about how astounding Emmanuel is. God with us. It's, 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 it's crazy. If it doesn't bum fuzz you, I don't know what will. It's nuts. God with us. I know we put it on our sign. I know we say it every time we come to church. But it's something that should astound us. Because it is the power of God in human flesh. That's the first thing. The power of God. So this is important because it teaches us that instinct that a lot of people have. You've had these conversations. Or maybe you're here today and this Jesus stuff is new to you. It's very common in our culture to have this kind of vague spirit instinct. Because it does see, as we look around, <clears throat> that something is keeping everything going. People say things like, well, somehow it just always works out in the end. <clears throat> and people attribute that to the universe. Sometimes to karma. I don't think this is going to go away until I take a drink of water. <clears throat> but what John is telling us is that this truth, while your instinct is correct, there is something governing the universe. The full truth is so much more than that. It's not a far-off, vague, indistinct power of love. It's not a far-away, vague, indistinct wisdom organizing all things. It is a right beside us, dwelling with us, God in the flesh. 
the full power of creation, the full power of God, wrapped up and us. John is saying, you, you don't get it. He's not far off. We have seen his glory. We've been face to face with God. And this was formerly impossible, but impossible because he chose to come and to walk with us. The full power of God. The full character of God. You can know God. That is crazy. There are so many things in the world that I wish I knew more about. I wish I knew more about so that when I go to get my oil changed and they're trying to upsell me on things and I, I go, I, no, I don't, no, I don't think so. But then I leave going, well, maybe I should have gotten my transmission flushed. I don't know. I wish I knew better. Things I wish I knew more about. <clears throat> but I can know God. You can know God. There's so many things that are mysterious to me. I saw a video on YouTube the other day talking about this new thing is quantum computing. And they started off by saying, well, first, before you can understand quantum computing, you have to understand how basic computers work with binary, a series of zeros and ones, ons and off. And that's how all computers work. And I'm going, I have no idea what that even means. And I know some people here understand that. Good on you. But it is mysterious to me how much of the world is to you. And yet God does not have a mystery. He has made himself known. He has shown full character in sending his son to us. And what's the best way to know somebody? I mean, <clears throat> you can read a lot about God. If you wanted to get to know my wife, I could tell you a lot of things about her. I could tell you uh, about her quirky sense of humor. I could tell you how a mom she is. I could tell you that sometimes when she laughs, she scrunches up her there are a lot of things I could tell you about her, but the best way for you to get to know wife would be to be in her presence, to spend time with her, to play Uno with her because she likes Uno even though I think it's so boring. <laughs> Don't you see? Not just because we can read a biography about him, as beautiful as that is, we can know God because he is with us, Emmanuel. We here in this moment are sitting in his presence, knowing him more and more because he chose to come and be with us. So we, we see God wrapped up in human flesh, the full character of God in Jesus. We see the full message of God. We don't have to wonder, what does God want? We don't have to agonize over what is God's will? What is his desire? What pleases him? He has given us that message. We know we don't have to wish that we could have that conversation with him. Maybe there's somebody that you wish you could talk to one more time. I think about Meg's grandfather, who was a pastor. Um, is Ernest Walker. Actually, he spent most of his ministry in Valparaiso. And uh, whenever we would go see him a couple times a year, he would always ask, well, how's it going at church? And I'd tell him what's going on, and he'd have just the best wisdom. Oh, he'd try this or say that or... And there are times since he's passed when I've gone, man, I wish I could just talk to Opa one more time. But we don't have to feel that way when it comes to God. We don't have to agonize, oh, I wish I knew what God thought about this. He has told us what he thinks about it. He has delivered to us his full message in Jesus. And all of this light makes it possible for us to become children of God. Let me encourage you this morning that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And the darkness will not overcome the light. That even when it feels darkest, Christ's presence is still with you. What did he promise us? One of the last things before he ascended to heaven. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the ends of the earth. Even when the darkness seems impenetrable, the light has not been overcome. His presence is still with you. Even as you look around at our culture, 
feel like we're losing ground, understand we are not the first generation of Christians to feel that way. And yet we are still overcomers, conquerors, because of who Jesus is and because the darkness will not overcome the light. Even if it feels like God has abandoned you because of what's happening in your life, sickness or a pain or a heartbreak, you are still His child. You were not born of flesh and blood or the will of men. As strong as that bond is, God's bond is stronger. You were born of Him. And there is nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God, from your heavenly Father. You are His child. And even when it feels like He is far from you, because of the Holy Spirit living in you, He's closer to you than your very skin. Because of Emmanuel, because of Jesus taking on flesh and coming to be God with us. It's crazy. God, the character of God, the message of God, all wrapped up in human flesh. The, the author of Hebrews says it in this way, that it, in many different times and in many different ways, God has spoken to us by, by prophets and by angels and by his word, but now he has spoken to us by his son. Meaning that there's no greater way to know God. There's no inside track to insight about God. There is Jesus. If you want to know God, it is through Jesus. What that means is if you're here this morning and this Jesus stuff is new for you, don't wait for a sign. Don't wait for a special message. God has already revealed himself to us, and it is through his son, Jesus. God has already spoken to us, giving us his full message of salvation. It is through his son, Jesus. And if Jesus coming, the fullness of God wrapped up in human flesh, if that's not enough of a word for you, there will not be a greater revelation of God to us. It is through Jesus. Make him Lord, and you will be from a child of wrath into a child of God. Father, we're so thankful for your perfect and holy word. Thankful that Jesus is the word. God, we, <clears throat> we thank you that you would be willing to be wrapped up in human flesh to be our new Adam. Our words seem so small and insignificant in comparison to what you have done for us, but it's what we do now, God. We feel like we have to cry out and praise you for what you've done for us. Lord, in this time of response, we're going to praise you for being Emmanuel, God with us. But I also ask, God, that you would give people in here the courage they need to be obedient to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you would call us to do, have your way, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, this is your time to move as the Holy Spirit moves you. If you are here this morning and you realize that Jesus isn't your Lord, then you need to understand that you are not a child of God, but he wants you to be. Come down and speak with me in the front, and I'll show you from the scriptures how today you can become a child of God. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, this is your chance to move. So go ahead and move as you stand now. Uh, Bruce, would you pray over our offering and then deacons after that, stick around for the commissioning, please. Amen. So have a seat, and we'll have the missions team come forward and stand here in the front. And Brian's going to give us um, just an overview of what this trip is all about and what they're going to be doing in Kenya.
Yeah, thank you so much. So, um, yeah, Heart of the Bride has been partnering with uh, a lady named Monica Muoki in Kenya since 2008 on a number of different things. But in 2016, she really felt, um, or leading up to that, felt the, the need to to start a school in uh, the village where her family is from. Kithyanyo, Kenya is way out in the bush. I mean, you get off the paved road, you're out in the middle of nowhere. At night when it's dark, Dude, it's dark. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I've had those experiences. Like, what? It's dark, um, but it's it's also very spiritually dark out there. Uh, and so, you know, after working with kids for years and years, she knew that um, something something more needed to be done. Uh, none, very few of the kids in the village went to school. Those that did went to pretty horrible schools. One where the local uh, elementary school also owned a bar downtown and sold his homebrew. Out- to whoever, including his students, okay, elementary age kids. And so uh, so she started Eagles Christian Academy in 2016. We had seven students. Uh, we now have 147 students. Almost every kid in the village goes to school now, either with us or through other ways as, as we've inspired them to go. Uh, but at the Eagles Christian Academy, it is Christian-based. It is, the kids are, the gospel is forefront, and they are discipled, and our vision is not just to produce well-educated kids, but kids who are spiritually mature and will go out and change uh, Kenya and change that area. Um, on this trip, there's going to be a number of things. We've got we've got a couple of doctors with us. One of our very own, uh, Dr. Diane Hudson, is going to be with us, as well as a doctor from our former church in Missouri. Uh, so we're going to uh, treat the kids first. First, we always, kids, and then do outreach to the community through a medical clinic. Uh, we've got also got uh, Denise going with us, who's going to do some continuing education for the teachers. And then God has put every one of the skills in all of these of us from EBC that are going to be used while we're there to minister to the kids, to help reach out to the community. Beyond our time there, what we're really praying for is how God wants us to partner with the school and with the church right next door that the school was founded out of to reach that community. Our kids, I mean, God's providing for our kids. They're hearing the gospel, but they still go home or wherever it is they live conditions, most of them. And so we know that the next thing we have to do to help them is reach the village with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be working with the school, with the teachers, with there to provide discipleship training and to help them reach into that village to see the gospel transform Kithyanyo, Kenya. So while we're there, we're also doing our work at hand, but also praying for God to show us about what needs to happen next, and not just through subsequent trips, but with our partnership through Monica and through that church. So much for that. The come and kind of lay hands on them as we pray over them, and if you want to, you can reach out for them as I pray. Father, we are thankful for this uh, team of brothers and sisters who are answering your call to go. We're thankful for their heart to serve you and to serve your church. We're thankful for their burden for the lost. We're thankful for their um, willingness and their obedience. We ask God that you would prepare the way for them, not only in all the small details that need to go right for traveling like this, but that you would be preparing hearts to receive your gospel. We ask God that you would give um, these the words that they need to faithfully share your gospel. You'd give them the courage they need to speak when it's hard or uncomfortable. We ask God that you would protect them and that you'd bring them back home safely. Father, we are thankful for the joy and the satisfaction that you're going to give them because of their service and obedience to you, and we're just thankful for your son. Lord, we praise you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, and now